1 Samuel 4 tells of the young prophet raised by Eli, the priest. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were evil, prideful men who defied God. They arrogantly took the Ark of the Covenant, representative of the very presence of God, into battle where the Ark was captured. News of this defeat reached Shiloh, just as Phineas's wife was giving birth to a son. In verse 21, we read, She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod. Literally meaning, God has departed. Israel would become a people without glory, without hope, without love, without joy. In the without moments of life, voids are created that fear rushes to fill. Thankfully, God's word tells of the birth of another son. In Matthew 1, 23, we see the glory of God return. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In him, there is no room for fear. In him, Mary's fear of broken dreams was replaced by favor and hope. In him, Joseph's wounded heart and fear of judgment gave way to obedience and love. In him, the shepherd's fear of being forgotten was overcome as they were immersed in the returning glory of the Lord. The good news of great joy they received affirmed they were known and seen. Their Savior had come. Today, we light the fourth candle of Advent. The candle of peace. The light of this candle reminds us of a difference without. Without conflict, without noise, without oppression, without disturbance. As we face the same fears as Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, God's response to us is the same as it was to them. Do not be afraid. I am with you. In him, there is no room for fear. In him, we find peace. We are no longer called Ichabod. His glory has returned. Emmanuel, God is still with us. Amen. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight or all the
that he brings tidings of comfort and of joy. And again, we've mentioned it several times in this service. Maybe you've come in feeling like you're kind of riding the, the waves of life and you're, you're wanting that peace that only comes from knowing Christ. And that's who we sing to this morning. The author of it all, the one who speaks and the wind and the waves listen to his voice. Let's continue worshiping this morning as we proclaim it is well with our souls. Grander earth's quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice Sees that all can be calmed and broken from my regard and through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all through it all it is well
That's our prayer today. Be near us, Lord Jesus. All the preparations, uh, the rushing about, the shopping, the, the decorations, family gatherings, special services, school concerts. All, Lord, have brought us to this place. All motivated by what we're celebrating this morning. You, Lord, in an effort to be near us so that we could understand and know you, step down from heaven to be with us. I know, Lord, I have trouble wrapping my mind around that. I'm so undeserving. It's not something I could ever earn. Lord, that's in itself is what makes it so special. It's why we call it grace. You did, Lord, what we couldn't do. You fixed and reconciled, Lord, what we'd broken. Lord, this season that we're stepping into, Lord, right now, in, in full gusto, these next 24 hours together, we're, we're, we're going to fill it with lots of things, lots of activities, lot, lots of different encounters, lots of interactions, lots of, of expressions. May we do none of it, Father, without you. Because, Lord, without you, there is no Christmas. There's no reason to celebrate. Lord, in the hustle and bustle, may we not pull away from you, Lord, but rather all closer to you. I pray for the ones, Lord, today that undoubtedly this is a difficult season. Maybe they feel alone. Perhaps they're dealing with loss or grief. Maybe they're overwhelmed by, by the financial part of it, the, the uncertainty of it. Maybe, Lord, family couldn't make it in or the plans just haven't gone the way that we had imagined them to go. And Lord, through it all, Lord, we find ourselves frustrated or perhaps weary. Would you just draw that one especially close today? And help them to see what this is really about. It's about you drawing close to us. Each one of us, Lord, in this place can appreciate and desperately need that type of encounter and realization of who you are and why you've come. Lord, be with us this morning. We open up your word. We want to hear your voice. Stretch us. Show us something new. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. And as you do, reveal a little bit about who we are to ourselves as well. Change us, God, I pray, for your glory. May we not leave the same way we've come. We've been in the presence of Jesus. What a special and precious gift that is. It's in your son's name we pray this morning. Amen. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning on this very special day. It's been a lot of work leading up to this moment, and hopefully you can go home today and relax and appreciate uh, what the season's all about. Uh, hopefully you're not uh, looking forward to what's ahead and still mum, uh, overwhelmed by what you still have to do, and you're not afraid of what's coming. This is a very special and beautiful time, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. We've been talking these last several weeks together about uh, this concept we read in Scripture of fear. Uh, and maybe there's some things even right now that you're afraid of of these next several hours or a couple of days. And, but I was reminded in, in preparing for today of a television show that was on about a decade ago called Fear Factor. And maybe you're familiar with Fear Factor, I don't know. But it was a show in which the contestants had to face their most primal fears. They were confronted with series a series of challenging stunts 
or, or, or scary situations, and uh, contestants were eliminated through each round of, of the television show leading up to the grand finale when you would be confronted with perhaps a, a show of claustrophobia or, or having to eat a spider or be, being covered in worms or other countless creepy crawlers or, or dangerous stunts, perhaps uh, being buried alive or even hanging from a helicopter by a bungee cord. And even some of these things may sound fun to some of you. And if you are, I'll be praying for you. But as the seasons progressed, many of the fears became more about grotesque foods and situations, less, less about food and more about shock value. And over the 12 years that the show aired, uh, this would seem to indicate that there's something about facing fears that's compelling to us. It draws us in. Perhaps it's the hope in, in associating with the winner each week, that one who could overcome their fears, who had the guts and determination to push through. I'm not sure what eating a spider would help us recognize or learn from pushing through our fears, so I'm not sure that's it. Rather, I think it's the opposite. See, each week there were more, more who failed in facing their fears than those who overcame them. So perhaps the draw was in the realization that we weren't alone in the inability to face our own fears. It was encouraging to know that there were those out there just like us who perhaps gave in or often failed when it came to facing that which we were intimidated or afraid of. But in the Gospels, we see a different story. In fact, in the birth of Jesus, in the narrative of the birth of Christ, we see three instances where God confronts the fears of men. He, he, he meets with Mary, a, a teenage bride-to-be, who undoubtedly had dreams of a new life and a new home with her husband, and then a God breaks in, tells her she is a child of the Holy Spirit. Her dreams now are shattered, but with this new dream that God's given to her also comes God's favor. With this new plan comes new purpose, and ultimately we find hope in a young teenage girl named Mary. Joseph's fears were realized when he felt that his wife-to-be was unfaithful. He was afraid of being brokenhearted, but also of the judgment and exclusion that would come from culture that he was faithful to, a belief system that he was faithful to, if he were still to take her as his wife. God would show Joseph what true love looks like and called him to be obedient when the world said to divorce her quietly. His fears were significant. In the shepherd's fear that Pastor Josh shared with us last week, their fear of insignificance, of being overlooked, of little hope of becoming more than they were. To them, joy would be revealed. And they were called to fear not. Each example of fear that we read in the Christmas story allow us then to step into the story, to read ourselves into the very pages from which we draw the account of Jesus' birth. And I think that's where I find myself today. I love being able to read into Scripture and, and find parts where I become a character, where I fit in the story. It helps me know that God did this not just for those who read in the black and white print on the pages, but he did it for me as well. So the character of the story that we're going to consider today is not Mary, Joseph, or the shepherds, but rather is ourselves. We're going to talk about our own fears and battles, our struggles, our failures, the grief and loss or loneliness we face, the broken relationships, the financial uncertainties, the feelings of irrelevance or insignificance, or maybe even God today or the Holy Spirit's going to confront the sin in our lives and the separation that we are experiencing from God because of our own choices. All of these things work to take away the peace that Jesus brings. And I'm encouraged when I read in God's Word and I'm able to see myself in its pages because each of the examples that I shared have been parts of my story the good parts and the not-so-good parts. They're in there. But through it all, at the end, there's still good news to be had. It may sound cliche, or maybe it looks like an old bumper sticker. I don't know, maybe we wouldn't use bumper stickers anymore. It's not like it used to be. Perhaps you've seen it on a Christmas card or even a billboard, uh, although today uh, maybe you've seen it on a meme or a status update or a reel or a snap. But, but undoubtedly you've heard it said that Jesus is the reason for the season. And I don't want to sound uh, disrespectful, but that's not necessarily correct. While we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the reason for the season is found when we dig a little bit deeper. The truth is, I am the reason for the season. You are the reason for the season. Jesus would not have needed to come if not for us. 
We can easily read ourselves into God's word and we recognize that that truth this season, the good news, is all about us. The fact that we need a savior, that is the reason for the season. That's not to make it about us or to be arrogant in our approach to God's word, but instead we must humbly approach the season because Jesus only came because we needed him to. But our story doesn't begin in the Gospels. Rather, instead, we're going to turn back a few thousand or a few hundred years into the Old Testament and see the reason of the season truly revealed. We know in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have, have sinned. They, they've disobeyed God, and God confronts them in the garden. He's having this conversation with Adam and Eve and the serpent, Satan, the, the tempter. And, and God goes to the tempter, goes to Satan, says, I'm going to separate you from, from my creation. And in between you, I'm going to put enmity. That, that's a beautiful word, enmity. And enmity means something in between, and that in between is going to be Jesus. You're going to bite his heel, but he's going to stomp on your head. He's going to crush you. At the very beginning of creation, we see our need revealed. And that doesn't get any better. Mankind just seems to just take off and do things their own way, and, and our need for a Savior would continually be shown through our actions, our inability to stay faithful to our Creator. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 21 through 22, we read about it at such an encounter. There's not yet a king in Israel. They're kind of following the leadership of the priests. They've arrived in the promised land, and, and they're still being attacked by, by outsiders. And in such a moment, we see the priest Eli, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, decide to go into battle and take the Ark of the Covenant with them. We'll take the very presence of God in this little box, where we'll march him into battle, and that'll help us have victory. Except that they didn't. Their hearts weren't where they should be. They were dishonoring God through their actions. They were evil men. They lost that battle that day. Hophni and Phinehas would die. The ark would fall into the hands of the enemy. Tragic day for the nation and the people of Israel. As word returned back to Shiloh, Eli, who was sitting on a stool waiting word, uh, got it, and it was so disturbing to him, he just fell over backwards, broke his neck, and died. Phinehas' wife was in, in that very moment in labor, giving birth to a son. She heard the news. She was to come and die to the pains of childbirth, but before she passed away, she named the boy Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. So the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. The glory has departed. Ichabod literally meaning no glory. Now, that would be a kid who would get picked on on the playground growing up, going to school. God's glory is departed. And Ichabod would be a reminder of that. Phineas' wife, um, in a sense, prophetic, and would foretell of a thousand and seventy years of the departed glory of God. It began much sooner than that. It's been, it's been happening um, be before that moment. It continues to happen even today. We do things, we choose to do things, our actions, our attitudes, our response to God, in a sense, our, our arrogance in so many ways lead to the departed glory, if you will, in our own lives. I had to ask myself this week, it's a challenging conversation to have, how often in my life have I looked like Ichabod? How often do my choices say to God, the glory has departed? How often do I choose in my, my arrogance or my weariness or my stupidity or in my attitudes or in my actions to other people or in my inactions towards people that I'm Ichabod and not Brian? How often do I live life with my back turned to him instead of running towards him? What Ichabod moment might God be revealing in your life this morning? Imagine for a moment, if you would, life without God. What might that look like? we really dig deep enough, life without God is hell. Whether it's fire or brimstone or not, that's not a debate we're having today, but existence without God is hell. So when we talk about hell on earth, we're not too far off. With these Ichabod moments, this glory departing from, from the nation of Israel, there would still be good days. We know that David would come. There would be good kings. There would be good seasons. But so much more the seasons of disobedience would trump those good moments but god is faithful and, and god never fully abandons us there's an old hymn in scripture called he abides remember familiar with that hymn he abides and i want to sing a verse for you today this is my christmas gift to you uh, you cannot return this by the way <laughs> 
And I might get this wrong, might be in the wrong key, but bear with me. He says, I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way. For the hand of God in all my life I see. And the reason of my bliss, yes, the secret all is this, that the comforter abides with me. There's a key change, and I can't get high enough on the chorus, so that's all you're getting. But the chorus goes, he abides, he abides. Hallelujah, he abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way, for the comforter abides with me. In John chapter 14, verse 16, in the King James Version, we read, And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And this, this comfort of the Holy Spirit, we see after Jesus has come and, he, and he's gone to the cross and he's resurrected and he's ascended into heaven, sends the Holy Spirit. This comforter now abides with us all the time, never to leave us, never to desert us. We're never alone. And I was drawn to this verb this week, this verb, verb abide. It's one of those words I, th- I think we, we think we know what it means. But often when you dig a little bit deeper, you discover there's another hidden meaning underneath that reveals a different side of the story. To abide. Well, it's a verb. There's two types or two usages. If you're a grammar teacher, an English teacher, or a school teacher, this must, you might really appreciate and like this. If you don't like English, well, you might not even care. But I was just fascinated as I studied what the word abide means. See, sometimes when you prepare, God takes you down different rabbit holes you never thought you were going to go down, and it shows you things that are really powerful. Now, abide could be an intransitive verb. Now, the word intransitive verb, it literally means, I was taught this after first service, so I don't think I knew this coming in, but it has a direct object. Uh, meaning that it's talking about something specific. An intransitive verb is typically followed by a preposition. And it means to remain stable or fixed in a state or to continue in place. So if I jump back to the song, he abides with me. I'm the direct object. So the verb, he, that he's acting on, the action is abiding with a direct object with me. So in most of usages in scripture, when we see the word abide, it's, it's used in an intransitive way. It's always talking about a direct object, like abiding with or or, or always being with or continually, stably following or being connected to. But the transitive use of the verb, transitive means there is no direct object, typically expressed with a lack of a preposition, means this, to bear with patiently, to tolerate, to endure without yielding. If there's no being, being no preposition, there's nothing separating the verb from its object. Generally not a direct object, but an indirect object, meaning there's nothing between the verb and the object. And, and I like that kind of reality. And while I don't want to isogetically read something in the scripture that's not there, I can't help but think that in my Ichabod moments, when God abides with me, he's tolerating me. He's bearing with me patiently. He's he's enduring without yielding my ignorance and my stupidity and my failures and my attitudes and my arrogance, my sin. And God is abiding and not leaving because he loves me so deeply. When I understand abide in both contexts, it means so much more to me. It's a deeper, richer abiding. And it makes me so thankful for who God is. It helps me realize who I'm not and who he wants me to become. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah the prophet has a word for King Ahaz. King Ahaz is not a very good king. He's uh, not doing things well. He's not following after God. But, But Ahaz needs to be reminded. And Isaiah shares with Ahaz, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Oh, I'm so much like Ahaz. I try the patience of my God from time to time. Sometimes I'm weary. Sometimes I can excuse it. Sometimes I'm really good at justifying it. But nonetheless, I I put God in a position where he has to abide me, put up with me, tolerate me. And Ahaz finds himself in a similar place. Will you try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Manuel. See, in the reminder to Ahaz, he's being reminded of who he is. You're from the line of David. And God's made a covenant with David. We'll talk about in just a few moments. And you're not living up to your part, but God's going to keep his part of the covenant. 
And what's going to happen eventually, Ahaz, is the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. See, these earthly kings aren't working out so hot for Israel. They need a spiritual king, a heavenly king. And God's got a plan in place. But I'm left asking myself, as we see in the words of Isaiah, will I try the patience of my God also? How often does God's abiding in my life take the transitive form of the verb, the patiently tolerating? The enduring without yielding. And God in his grace looks past that transitive expression and intransitively dwells with me. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that bring a little bit of joy? It should. That should move us. Because in spite of us, Jesus comes, gives the Holy Spirit, enables and equips us to live a life that we can't live on our own. So for God to intransitively abide with me, he has to bear with me. He has to put up with me. And because of his grace and what Jesus does in my life and what the Holy Spirit does when he fills and dwells within us, I can become something that I can never be on my own. When I understand this, now I can read myself into Luke chapter 2. And even though the Ichabod in me shows up in Isaiah chapter 7 and through so many other expressions in Scripture, I can see myself in the story. And I can do that with hope because I know how the story ends. So the prophet tells of this coming hope, of this son who will be born, of who it will be and what he'll be called. Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph was instructed by the angel in Matthew chapter 1 to name the child Jesus, meaning the Lord saves. Imagine for a moment, I thought of this this morning, Mary holding her son for the first time, whispering his name, Jesus. Looking at him and just like realizing what she's holding. Literally saying, the Lord saves through this helpless child. What a beautiful moment. Emmanuel has come. Jesus saves. Was it King Ahaz is reminded from where he's come? Hear now, you house of David. And even though Ahaz and Israel not pursuing God, they'd not yet seen the glory of God fully return. While there were good moments here and there, God was still keeping his covenant. The covenant that he made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says, but my love will never be taken away from him. God's speaking through the prophet Nathan to David about his son Solomon. That's a mouthful right there. He's speaking about Solomon. He says, I, I, I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God makes his covenant with David. He promises that David's offsprings and his throne will never be, will be established forever and will never go to someone else. Eventually, though, the kingdom does divide and fall. And by the time Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, several hundred years and two exiles later, the throne's still yet to be established. In fact, during Jesus' triumphal entry, Israel's being occupied by, by Rome. So the people are so ready for this coming Messiah, for this fulfilled covenant. They're so excited. They see something in Jesus they haven't seen before. And they get so pumped up, they can't help themselves. They shout out, Hosanna to the Son of God. They're heralding this covenant. They're, 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 they're grabbing hold of this promise that God's made, and they're hoping for a king. We could view this triumphal entry moment as a reprise of the heavenly host praising the birth of Jesus before the shepherds. We'll talk about it in just a moment. And what we see is joy bursting out of a people that for so long had nothing but sorrow. They finally were hopeful again. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus to tell his people to be quiet, Jesus says, this has been welling up for a long time. It's not going back in the bottle. That's what the incarnation does. When, when God becomes man in the, in the form of Jesus Christ, the thrill of hope is extended to people. It's touchable, it's tangible, it's right in front of us. So now we can step into Luke chapter 2 story. Now we can read ourselves into the pages of God's word. We read in Luke chapter 2, we know that, it, that the days of Caesar Augustus, the decree was issued, a census should be taken, and everyone was to return to their hometown. So Joseph had to load Mary up on the donkey or, or in the minivan or, or taking an Uber. I don't know how they got there, but they, they get, to, get to Bethlehem so that he could register. And while they were there, Mary, who was expecting to be with child at the time, came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth 
to her firstborn a son. Now, we don't know whether it was a stable or a cave or a barn. We just know that she put them in a feeding trough for animals, and Scripture tells us there was no room for them in the inn. So it was not the best of places to give birth to a child. But the time came for the child to be born, and this promised child has arrived. And that's pretty exciting stuff. That, 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 that's where we see God doing some amazing work. We see in verse 9 of Luke chapter 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Pastor Josh talked about the fear of the shepherds last week. We're going to take it a little bit different direction this morning. They were terrified. The word terrified is, is a Greek word, phobeo. Phobeo, where we get the word phobia in, in our English language. Phobeo is to put to flight by terrifying or to scare away, to fear or to be afraid, to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm to be frozen in fear, to be so afraid they couldn't move, to be struck with fear where they were just bound to their position. They were overwhelmed by what they were seeing in Luke chapter nine, chapter 2, verse 9. But then the angel speaks. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. We'll talk about that great joy in just a few moments. But we read in verse 13 and 14 is where I want to get to today because we see something happen at the birth of Jesus, something significant. We see in verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Church, let's not miss this. The reason we no longer have to be afraid is because Jesus was born. 1,070 years after Ichabod, we see another son born, Jesus. The departed glory through this baby has returned, literally in the form of a baby, born to a virgin teenager, a compassionate carpenter, with a royal announcement heralded by lowly shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around them. The departed glory of God has come back, terrified no longer. Can't you hear the angels singing? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Because the glory of God has returned, now you can have hope. Now you can understand what it really means to love. Glory to God in the highest, joy. All of these elements of the advent come, become reality, come flooding back into the lives of those who are searching, who are seeking, who are longing, and who are wanting. Can't you hear the angels singing? To the glory of God returns, everything changes. Silence broken by the praises of a heavenly host. Darkness interrupted by the shining glory of God. Insignificant shepherds being reminded that they matter. They're the recipients of the best news. Their Savior has been born. I want to do a little bit of a extrapolating here for just a moment. Uh, this good news uh, that Jesus has come. We, we know how the story ends. They don't know all the details yet. We know that Jesus would grow up and, into a man and would have this powerful, beautiful ministry that would take him to the cross where he would be crucified uh, for, for our sins upon the cross. He would be buried in a tomb for three days. And the third day, he would rise up again, overcoming death so that he could provide for us the forgiveness of sins. We know that's ultimately what the good news looks like. But in between, what we find is this, this invitation to remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. And we do that in our church through the practice, through the sacrament of communion. We're having communion tonight during our, our Christmas Eve service. We, we hope that you'll come and be a part of that. But another word for communion is Eucharist. If you were with us during Thanksgiving, you know that we talked about a Greek word called Eucharisteo, which is where we get the word Eucharist, which was our word for Thanksgiving. So the word Thanksgiving comes from the very practice of remembering what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. In the middle of Eucharist, or Eucharisteo, is the word chartus. Chartus means grace. If you break the word chartus down, there's another word, Greek word called kara. Kara means joy. What we see in the good news of great joy, there's a lot of stuff crammed in there. But joy is returned because of God's grace, and that's what makes the news good. And it is for all people, meaning you and me, and there we show up again in God's story. That gets me excited. The shepherds would become the first influencers, and they would create a viral movement. 
See, watch what happens when glory returns. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. They go from being scared stiff to let's go and see. What a difference Jesus makes. See, Jesus, when he shows up in our lives, he moves us. From the inside out, we can't sit still any longer. We cannot stay bound to our fears. The grace of God requires movement. Let's go and see. Are you stuck where you are? What's keeping you bound? What's keeping you where you're at? Perhaps you need the returning glory of God to show up in your life. You need to be reminded of the good news and the difference it makes. You need to be reminded of the joy and where it comes from so that we go from being scared stiff to let's go and see. What's that movement look like in your life? What's holding you back? Perhaps you need to surrender your dreams like Mary. Or be boldly obedient like Joseph. Or to be joyful in receiving good news when no one says there's much good about you, like the shepherds. We find all of this possible through the grace of Jesus. To be people of peace is to rest in the presence of Emmanuel. Let's not miss that. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests same favor that Mary had is available to us through the baby Jesus. So we end, church, where we started. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, we began this whole conversation with this idea of what the prophet Isaiah said to us, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. We see that fulfilled the one we call Emmanuel, God with us. As we close this morning, Amy's going to come and, and share a, a song with us. And as, as she's getting ready, I want to pray for us in just a few moments. But this song is an invitation to hope, to love, joy, and to peace. In our Ichabod moments, whether it be grief or loss or loneliness, broken relationships or financial uncertainty, whether it be feelings of irrelevance or insignificance, whether it's sin and separation from God, perhaps this is your let's go and see moment. In, in these Ichabod moments, God comes to us. There's nothing we can ever do to restore his glory. No one was ever to do that on their own. It's only through an act of God, through the sending of his son, the glory returns still holds true for us today. The chorus of the song is in your silent night when you're not all right. Lift your eyes and behold him. Church, I invite you to stand as I pray for you. We're going to worship together. And I pray that together we behold him. That we will rest in the returned glory of God this morning. Father, thank you. <laughs> that just doesn't even sound like sufficient it's not an appropriate expression for what it is you've done but God is all we have we praise you for who you are and for the lengths that Lord you've gone to express your love to us Lord we reach out and we grab hold of you knowing that it's only through you that we have hope. And that, Lord, that we could grab hold of this thing called joy, and through your grace, we can walk with you. This gift you've given, indescribable, undeserved, unmatchable, irreplaceable. Give us yourself. You invite us into relationship with you. That departed glory, those Ichabod moments in our lives, where you push them away, you overcome them. In you, God, we find hope, love, joy.
Help us to hear you as you speak to us. Help us to behold you, Lord, in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. She put up the tree, stockings one, two, three. They all know one is missing. It's been a whole year without him right here. Won't be the same kind of Christmas. Some years it's wonder and lights in the sky. And some years it's okay. In your silent night, when you're not alright, lift your eyes and behold Him. Feel the thrill of hope, you are not alone. In this moment, behold Him. December 23rd. Four months out of work, and the bills just keep coming. Trying to stay strong, but he wonders how long he'll come home empty-handed. In every prayer that you lift to the sky, in every tear that you cry, Take a few moments to stop and to look up, to behold you. To perhaps let go of those things that we think we have to have right now or things we have to get done. And with freed hands to reach out and grab hold of the hope, the love, and the joy that's available to us. To rest in the return to glory of God. To grab hold of this gift your son, to find once again that peace which eludes us. Be reminded, God, that that's what this season's all about, that we could be restored as your children, in relationship with you. We don't have to be afraid. We're stuck in our fear. Let's go and see. Father, we love you, and we thank you praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do want to invite you to join us tonight at 7 o'clock. We know some of you may have other family traditions, commitments for our candlelight communion service. If you can't make it, have a Merry Christmas. God bless you and peace to those upon whom his favor rests. Have a great day.